He's already taken care of us. So I don't, I don't need to worry. So I just want to praise him for that. And I want to pray this morning because Drew's going to come and share God's word with us. So if you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that despite the distractions, despite the worries, um, both real and imagined, that you are still on your throne, that your son is sitting at your right hand, interceding on behalf of us, that, that this morning Jesus himself um, is bringing his church before you. Um, so, Father, we be gracious Gracious to those who are here and gracious to those who are not joining us uh, this morning. Lord, we bless your people. Father, you um, give us hope that the rest of the world doesn't understand. And you give us love for the good news of your Son. And Lord, though it might seem foolish to some, may it always be good. So Lord, this morning, will you empower Drew to share your word with us? And will you empower us to hear it, to respond faithfully to it? Lord, and to praise you because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Has anyone ever done anything where you acted in a way where what you knew didn't actually affect what you do? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. So, uh, an example of this that I thought of as I was thinking about it was... When I was in junior high, uh, a couple of my best friends and I were going through my friend's garage, and we found a box of bees. Does anyone know what those are? Are those rocket engines? Those are rocket engines for model rockets. So we found these model rocket engines, and we're like, man, what are we going to do with these? Well, let me tell you. Serendipitously, we also were playing around in the woods earlier that day, and we found ourselves one of these. A nice big arrow with a razor broadhead tip on that bad boy. And we thought, perfect. We'll, we'll strap these rocket engines to there, and we'll shoot it up into the sky. And Junior High Drew knew that what goes up must come down. But what I knew had absolutely no bearing on what I chose to do that day. And so we go out there and we light this sucker up and we shoot up into the air. And we're looking at it like, whoa, that's cool. Oh, oh, it's coming down. As we book it to the shed to take cover, and this thing falls somewhere. Everyone survived. We lived to tell the tale. Uh, but there's just one example of a time when what I knew had absolutely no bearing on how I acted that day. Well, when we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, we see that one of their problems is that they know an awful lot. But what they know has no bearing on what they do. So when we look at 1 Corinthians 1, this is Paul talking and he thanks God for them. He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. As he's giving his uh, prayer of thanksgiving, he talks about how they have been enriched by God with all knowledge. They know an awful lot. And that's a good thing. Paul's grateful for the knowledge that they have in Christ. And yet, Throughout the book, 
there's an issue. Because as we look at how Paul talks about knowledge or knowing, he uses a lot of rhetorical questions. In talking about their difficulty, uh, difficulty in judgment, he says, who knows a man's thoughts? Who knows someone's motives? Only their own spirit. Likewise, who has known the mind of the Lord? The Spirit of God. So guys, if we want to know the mind of God, we should get to know His Spirit. But then he goes into a series of don't you know statements. So don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Don't you know that the Lord, that the Lord's people will judge the world? Or don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? But it keeps going. It says, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Don't you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? And don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? You guys see the pattern here. Over and over, he's talking about these issues that they have. And he's saying, don't you guys know this stuff? You guys have all sorts of knowledge, and I'm really grateful to God that you have this knowledge. But guys, it doesn't look like it's actually affecting the way you live. They're looking like junior high drew over here. And they're not actually letting what they know affect their actions. And this is a problem throughout the book. But here, Paul is going to shift just a little bit. He's not going to give us don't you know statements in this passage. It's going to be something a little different. He's going to say, now we know that all possess knowledge. And we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. And that there's no God but one. And here what he's doing is a little different. Because throughout the book thus far, he's been talking about, don't you know this? Because you know it, but you're not acting like it. There's a disconnect between what you know and what you're doing. In this passage, he's talking about things that they have said in a letter that they have sent him. Where it's like they're saying to him, Paul, don't you know that we all possess knowledge? And it's like they're saying to him, Paul, don't you know that an idol's nothing? Paul, don't you know that there's only one God? And Paul's saying, yeah, we know that. But the problem here is different. Before, I was talking about things where it was like you didn't know it. You do, but you're living like you don't know it. With this, you're living like you know it, but that's almost the problem, is that you know it. Because you're living what you know, but you're not living in love. And it's making you arrogant. And it's causing all sorts of problems. So let's go ahead and start looking at the text. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. And as we look at He's talking about how knowledge puffs up. Concerning food sacrifice to idols, you're saying, Paul, we all know this stuff. He's saying, yeah, but it seems like what you know has just made you arrogant. 
Whereas if you actually love one another, you consider one another in the way that you act, and you're not doing that right now. And to be clear, knowledge is not a bad thing, because we actually have seen Paul commending them for their knowledge. He's saying that, I'm grateful to God that you have knowledge. That's an awesome thing. But he has also chastised them for their execution, for their living out of what they know. Whether because they're not living out what they know, or because they're living it in the wrong way. And the latter is more what's going on in this passage. Also, we've seen throughout 1 Corinthians that knowledge can be divisive. We saw in chapter 1 how there are divisions among them, saying, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas or Peter, or another, I follow Christ. And Paul's saying, guys, you've got this all wrong. You guys are just trying to talk about who's the smartest, who's the best preacher, who uh, is the most compelling as they speak. That's not the stuff that matters. You guys all want to know the most. You guys all want to talk about who you follow at the expense of loving God and loving one another. Knowledge can be divisive. Knowledge is also no substitute for relationship. Because when we look there, it says whoever knows something, whoever thinks he knows something, does not yet know as he wants to know. Whoever loves God is known by God. That knowing things about God is no substitute for actually loving him, being known by him. It's a huge, huge discrepancy. There's absolutely no comparison there. So knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And I can't really give like a line-by-line line thing on this one yet because this whole passage is going to talk about how we should live out what we know in love. The rest of the passage is going to be kind of our point-by-point point outline of this. So let's go ahead and look at 8.4. Oh, but before we do that, let's keep in mind that before this, their uh, issue is that they're living in a way that seems as though they don't know these things. They know it, but they don't live it. Here, they know it, and they're living it the wrong way. That's kind of our paradigm for what's going on here. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there's no God but one. These are the things that the Corinthians are saying to Paul. For if even there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. <coughs> so essentially, the Corinthians are saying to him, Paul, don't you know that an idol is nothing? Paul, don't you know that there is only one God? So when we're talking about food sacrifice to idols, Paul, an idol is nothing. So the food that's sacrificed to them, it's nothing. It doesn't matter. It's just food. There's only one God. Jesus. Paul's response is basically, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I realize that. If it was me, I'd probably be a little bit frustrated and be like, I'm the one who told you that. <laughs> like, but Paul is, 
exampling this whole love thing. Paul uh, we know that. That's good. Then the next passage. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. So they're saying, Paul, don't you know? An idol's nothing. Don't you know there's only one God? So food sacrificed to idols is just food. Paul's saying, yeah, I know that. But not everyone does. Some of these people have lived their, the majority of their lives worshiping these false gods that are truly nothing. And so when they see you eating food sacrificed to idols, they don't know, oh, that's just food for them. They think, wow, that person's taking part in idolatry. It's a big deal. So Paul says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat with sacrifice to idols? So this weak brother or sister, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Paul's saying, guys, when someone sees you eating this food that's been sacrificed to idols, they think you are actually taking part in idolatry. You're leading them to think idolatry is okay among God's people. And in so doing, you are actually leading them into destruction. We're talking eternal consequences here, people. Yeah, maybe that food is just food for you. Do you have the right to eat it? Sure, it's just food. Except that for that person, it is not just food. For that person, it's a gateway into idolatry. And so that's where we're talking about the difference between knowledge and love. Yeah, you guys know this stuff. That's good. But you guys don't love one another. If you love one another, you do what I'm doing here. Because I love each other, or I love people so much that I would rather give up anything than see someone fall into sin. That's what Paul's talking about. Well, idols is our culture worship because we don't have uh, statues we don't have many temples around here that people go to to worship but our culture does have idols we do have idols that we worship for some people it might look something like this where they ascend the stool and bow their head over the altar as they hold forth their offering and their priest doles out the spirits. 
For some people, that is a real thing where they worship alcohol or drugs as their god. Where they look to it to save them, to comfort them, to get them out of their problems. That's a real thing. And we have people among our number who in the past have been those people who have served these idols. You know, I actually found it interesting as I was looking for a picture of a bank that when I Google image search bank, the majority of the top ones that come up look like temples. It's very interesting. And as I thought about that, again, I think that's, they're onto something there. Because a lot of us do serve money as a God. And to be clear, we can serve money as a God Worshipping what we have, looking to what we have as kind of our salvation, that we trust in it to give us security, to keep us safe, to give us pleasure, or we can worship what we don't have in envy and in jealousy. Worship of money is not something that's limited just to people who have a lot. In fact, I think that for me, the majority of my life, I... I struggled with this, with envying and idolizing money, because I didn't have it. You think, if I had that, these problems would go away. If I had that, I'd feel better. This is a real thing. Millions of people, this is the idol that they serve. Another one might be politics. Perhaps we look to one of these people to save us, to get us out of these problems that we face in the world. That we think that one particular political ideal, whether it be on the right or on the left, is going to actually solve our problems. Essentially, we trust them more than we trust God. In that way, we make it an idol, we make it a God. Or, potentially, we look at these people and we think, none of these people are going to solve our problems. But instead of looking to God, we fear the upcoming election cycle. We're more afraid of it than we trust God. That's a real thing. A lot of people in our world struggle with idolizing politics by putting more hope in them than we do in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Another idol we serve is knowledge. We live in the information age. Everyone wants to be educated about something or another. And there's lots of ways for us to get knowledge these days. And that's actually a really cool thing. Technology makes it so easy to pull up a TED talk on something and hear a, a person who's an expert in their field explain something, which is really cool. But for some of us, knowledge becomes an idol where we want to be the smartest person in the room, where we want everyone to think of us as intelligent, where we want everyone to think of us kind of as being better than them, where we want to be the, the person who has all the answers. For me, this has been something that I've struggled with. 
where especially uh, I've thought about like, I want to be the person who knows all the answers. And so I'll be talking with someone and realize after a conversation, man, I don't think I love that person very well. I could just shut off my knowledge. And I think that's something you've got to be really careful about. And it's actually something that Paul was really careful about with the Corinthians. In chapter 2, he says, So it was me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, but Christ and Him crucified. And it's interesting, because as we've seen through the book of 1 Corinthians, what became an idol for them? Knowledge. What does Paul say? When I was with you, I did not make a big deal of all my knowledge. I did not make a big deal about my wisdom because I knew it would become a stumbling block for you, an idol for you. Because I don't want that to be your focus. Knowledge is a huge idol for a lot of people. Another thing is media and sex. If we think about it, so many of the most popular shows, the most popular music, is full of idolizing sex. It's everywhere. So we need to be really careful about what media we consume. Lest we lead people to think that idolizing that is okay. <clears throat> to give some perspective, some context into last week, Paul was talking about marriage and about singleness and marriage and he's talking about how yeah you're free to marry but in a lot of ways it's a lot easier if we don't because our our interests aren't divided between our families and god but we can serve god wholeheartedly much easier than we can if we're married he says i'm saying this for your own good not to restrict you but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the lord that in that passage, Paul's main point is he wants us to live in lives that are undivided in our devotion to the Lord. And in this passage, what he's talking about is he wants us to demonstrate to one another lives that are undivided in our devotion to the Lord. Being very careful not to lead people to think that idolatry is acceptable because of something that we're doing. So the main idea here in this passage is that we should love God and his family by freely forfeiting our freedoms. We should love God and his family by freely forfeiting our freedoms. By giving things up for the sake of one another. Now I had someone ask me as I was talking with them about this last week. They were saying, what's the difference between what you're describing and legalism? Just a good question. Legalism is much more focused on the knowledge aspect, knowing and following the rules. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about how we love one another. 
I do this not because I have to, not because I'm restricted, but because I love my brothers and sisters. And I would rather give something up than see them fall into sin. That's what Paul's talking about. And there's all the difference in the world between that and legalism. So how do we do that? What does that look like in life? Well, first off, we should love God by turning from idolatry in our own lives. If we're looking through that list of some of the ways that our culture worships idols, and if one of those strikes pretty close to our hearts, maybe we should think about that, confess it to God, say, God, there are ways that I have worshipped this. I've made it about God and money. God and sex. God and politics. We should ask for his forgiveness. Which he gives to us freely. And we should give it up because we love him more. Because we love him. We want to serve him. We want to show our undivided devotion to the Lord in our lives. And we can confess it to those around us. The Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another. It is good for us to confess them to each other and to have someone who can help us, to walk with us as we struggle through that. And we can give it up because we love God and because we love his people and we don't want to lead anyone into idolatry and sin. So maybe if we're looking at it and we see that sex has been an idol for us, maybe what we think is what we need to do is we need to say, you know what? These shows, I need to stop watching those because they idolize sex. And that's something that I need to give up so that I can serve God with undivided devotion. My knowledge has become an idol for me. Maybe I need to have less talks with people where we're talking about what we know and more talks with people, or we're just talking about our lives, or I'm actually just investing in them relationally. We need to think about these things and demonstrate undivided devotion by rooting out the idolatry that we have in us. Because as Paul said back in chapter 5, don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? We need to remove it when we find it. And we should love others by not leading them into idolatry through our actions, even inadvertently. So we need to pray. We need to ask God to show us if there are any ways that we have been living. Maybe we're doing things that are not even sinful, but people look at them and they get the wrong impression. They get the impression from what we're doing that these forms of idolatry are okay, that they're acceptable, that we can live lives divided between God and an idol. We can ask God to show us where we, see, uh, where we have those, and we can ask others to help us to see those as well. Because one of the great things about uh, being married, I've found, is that you have someone close by who can very much see your deficiencies. <laughs> It can be a very eye-opening experience, but it's so good. 
We can do that with our spouses. We can do that with our community groups. And talk about, hey guys, are you seeing anything in my life where this is an issue? Because I want to live a life that's undivided in my devotion to the Lord, and I want to demonstrate that with how I act. And we can help one another and bear one another's burdens in that way. We can ask for forgiveness from God and from the people we may have sinned against. Where if something we have done has caused someone to think that sin is okay, we can go to that person, we can repent, we can say, hey, God has really convicted my heart of this. I've asked for his forgiveness, and I want to ask for yours. And that might feel a little awkward, but it is so much better for us to love one another, for us to prioritize love rather than our own reputations. Let's demonstrate our undivided devotion to the Lord by turning away from those things and by loving each other enough to give up anything that might lead someone into idolatry. To give up these shows, to give up that music, to maybe not wear our political attire to church where it might push someone towards, uh, towards idolatry by causing a, a reaction within them. By not posting on something on Facebook about the election. By not posting something on Facebook about how you went to dinner and had a beer. By not uh, bringing a six-pack when we go uh, camping. So that we don't lead these people to think, you know what, these things, even if they're not sinful in and of themselves, these things that are associated with this idolatry in my life, these are okay. Because they're not. Idolatry is never okay. Because God wants us to live in undivided devotion to Him. So let's care for one another by demonstrating that, by giving up these things, by freely forfeiting our freedoms for one another. One thing that I love in 1 Corinthians that God has just really opened my eyes to as we've been going through this book is just. The, the example mentality that Paul has. That throughout the book, he's talking over and over about how he has exampled this for them. In chapter 2, we saw that he has exampled this for them by not making a big deal about his knowledge, which might become an idol for them. And then we saw in chapter 4 where he said, says to them, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. I urge you, imitate me. Do what I do. Live like me. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's what he says in chapter 11. Even next week, in chapter 9, he's going to be talking all about how this stuff that we've talked about today, he's going to talk about, this is how I do that. This is how I've done it for you. As we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, as we're talking about freely forfeiting our freedoms, the whole point of this is so that we can example to one another what it looks like to live lives of undivided devotion to God. It's all about the example that we set. It's all about leading people by example. I think that's really struck home with me. This is all about us being careful to show one another what undivided devotion to the Lord looks like. I'm going to pray and invite the worship team to come up now. Father, 
I pray that as we look at your word, that your spirit would convict our hearts where there may be idolatry within us. And we would repent and we would return to you. I pray that your spirit would convict us of how we may not be loving one another well, but we may be prioritizing rather than knowledge. Father, we want to live undivided devotion to you. Would you give us wisdom and courage to live that out well so that we can demonstrate you to the world and to those around us, so we can love you and love one another. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.